In Egypt, I used to go dancing all the time. I love to dance. I dance salsa, tango, you name it. But you know who didn't love my love for dancing? My mom. She had a very specific reason. You see, I was single at the time. When you are single in the Middle East, there is one thing that is more important to your mom than your career, your health, or even your happiness. It's to get married. You have two choices. You can marry the person your mom chooses for you, or you can marry someone your mom approves. My mom worried that I might meet someone when I was dancing and marry her. What kind of woman goes dancing, she would ask. And to make matters worse, dancing is considered unmanly in Egypt. I did meet someone while dancing tango. My wife, Ella. As a matter of fact, the song you hear right now was our wedding song. And of course, Hala was not the floozy my mom feared. Actually, my mom was there watching us dance, and she was very happy for us. But that's really beside the point. The generation of my parents didn't think about anything for us besides being good students, better Muslims, and of course, to decide who we married. Any social activities with the opposite sex were deemed a time bomb that would jeopardize all of the above. And if you think a single man who then salsa had it bad, the cultural norms facing the queer community were a hundred times worse. In the Middle East, calling someone gay is not a description, it's an accusation, even a death sentence. It's a stigma that could be used to discredit and to tarnish people's images, and could even destroy whole lives. There is nothing worse where I come from. In this episode, I talk to someone who has been commenting on and living through the issues surrounding the queer community her whole career. It's almost like passe, the idea of marriage equality. We forget. We, like, just fought for that. We just got that. Her name is Cameron Esposito. I'm married. I, I couldn't have been married a decade ago. Cameron knows a thing or two about antiquated culture norms, especially when it comes to sex. Cameron is a lot of things, a comedian, an actor, and a writer by trade, and a lesbian without apology. She has put out a few comedy albums. She even put one out with her wife. Cameron is quickly becoming one of the most thoughtful and funniest voices of the LGBT community. She's going to tell us about her experience of coming out, about her career, her queer identity, and how much the LGBT community has changed in a very short amount of time. I'm Basim Yusuf. This is Remade in America, presented by CAFE. Someone called me a vegan guru recently, and frankly, I love that title. And I love vegetables. And I think people should be vegan. But I understand that sometimes people have different opinions about how to eat. The nice thing is that no matter how you decide to eat, some basket is there for all your needs. Now you can explore new flavors, cuisines, and ingredients every week. Like me, you can also get delicious recipes and organic produce delivered right to your door. All thanks to some basket. Now you get more options than ever. Just go to the some basket app and pick from 18 recipe options every week. You can eat vegan like me or choose paleo, gluten-free, and many other options. Sunbasket works with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh organic produce. Go to sunbasket.com slash remade today to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash remade for $35 off. Sunbasket.com slash remade. Okay, back to Remade in America presented by Cafe. 
Today, we're talking with comedian Cameron Esposito. But before I had a chance to ask Cameron about her life, she had some questions for me. I want to talk about what you knew about LGBT folks. Yeah, well, well the we thing is, like, you're that. not just a guest on this show. We, this is a conversation, so you, I can ask you stuff. You can ask me stuff. Amazing. And we can find so many things about each other. So, uh, you want to start? Or, sure, or, or, I'll or, or, start. Or, or, yeah, okay, sure, you start asking start me. Start me. How, okay, okay. Uh, ask me. <laughs> did you feel... Did you feel self-conscious dancing because of the perception that it wouldn't be manly? I felt self-conscious if this would be put out in the open. And when I had my show, I never discussed my dancing. I mean, I didn't owe anything to anybody. I already had my show. I already got married. I proved by manhood by getting a child. Now I have two. I still didn't speak about it because when you are in political satire and you attack people in religious authority and military authority, they, both of them are from the conservative side. And they will uh, discredit you for things that don't have anything to do with politics or freedom of expression. They will tell you, this is what it means to have freedom of expression, to have free connection with the other sex. And I was even accused of promoting homosexuality, of being homosexual myself, because that is, of course, an accusation in the Middle East. So like men being gay, that's an insult, or women being... Uh, scantily clad, that's like something to fear. What about women being gay? Well, this is one thing that people do not speak about. They know that it exists, but they don't speak about it. We're talking about like a different set of consequences. Here in the U.S., it's not like illegal through the state or whatever anymore. But the attitude that you're talking about is the same. Hmm? That is the same. Yeah, I'm telling you, uh, this one, this podcast goes back to the Middle East. I mean, I, I, w- I would have, by the time this podcast is released, I would have like many other guests, but this will be the one episode that's going to be translated and it's going to go back and it's like, Basim is interviewing a gay woman. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. I couldn't help but think about the irony. People living under dictatorships in my part of the world are oppressed, especially the queer community. But the vast majority of Middle Easterners try to push down the queer community. They hide behind religion, traditions, and community norms. It reminds me of a very famous poem about the Holocaust. There are a few adaptations, but basically it goes like this. First, they came for the communists. And I did not speak out, because I was not a communist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out, because I was not a Jew. It goes on and it ends with, then they came for me. There was no one left to speak for me. If you don't stand up to all oppression, then who will stand up for you? If you live under an oppressive regime, doesn't that make you more sensitive to other people's struggle? But in the Middle East, the opposite happens. It boggles me. It's not just Muslims who do this. All sorts of groups, all sorts of religions are guilty of the same thing. And when I came here, I found the same thing too. Cameron told me her story of coming out. And it starts with her religious upbringing. I was raised very religious. I was raised in the Catholic Church, and I I went to Catholic school my whole life. And I'm from the Midwest, which has a little bit of a reputation of being less um, liberal than maybe the coasts. But growing up, I had no idea that gay people were real. I had never met a gay person. I was taught that homosexuality was a choice. So, I mean, I I thought there were no gay people. And this is also prior to anybody being on TV here, really, that was gay. Like, Ellen DeGeneres came out during part of my childhood, but I wasn't allowed to watch her show in my house. And 
there wasn't really anybody else who was out that I had access to. I was never actually judgmental. I, I later found a paper that I wrote in high school about homosexuality. Like it was assigned right about homosexuality, whether it's right or wrong. And I wrote, um, since I'm not gay, I have no way of knowing whether or not this is a choice. <laughs> That's what I wrote. But I, I, yeah, I had no familiarity with it. When did you know you were queer? Yeah, um, I had a lot of close relationships with women, but I just thought that that was like a teammate thing or like a best friend thing. And I didn't really understand what was going on when I was in high school. I dated the captain of my high school football team. He was a very masculine dude with giant muscles. You know, there's always like one guy in high school that looks like he's like 20 years older than every other yes, guy. Yes. Yeah. Like he's like the size you are now, but he's like 17. That's the guy that I dated. And then when I went to college, I met a woman and I fell in love with her. And it was the first moment that I kissed her that I knew what was going on with me. This is a realization moment. So what was going on in your mind at that time? Well, it was really exciting. I had had positive experiences but it just like never felt right. It always felt like I was kissing a friend when I was kissing guys. And also in high school, I had been an outspoken advocate of abstinence. Like I was very much, my boyfriend and I weren't having sex and I was very open about that. And um, I was super religious. I would go to daily mass and I kissed this woman and I just realized that everything I thought I knew about myself was wrong. I mean, and it was incredibly electric. It was a fantastic feeling. I, um, like understood my body in a way I had never understood my body before. I understood what people were talking about when they were talking about sex because all those years that I had been speaking out about abstinence, I had not really wanted to have sex. I kind of thought that's what everybody was doing um, and had all those feelings but also really thought I was going to hell. I mean, it was really terrible too. A lot of people listening to you right now, not just here, in the Middle East, they are struggling with all kinds of ideas, not just sexuality, but they they know that they're going to come up against their community, against their beliefs, against everybody who has told them that they are something, but now they are not. Can you please walk me through this process? Yeah, and I'm so glad you're framing it that way, because that really is true. There's a lot of ways to connect to this. When I realized I was gay, I was at a college where you could not come out you could be kicked out of school for being gay or you could be fired from the faculty. And I'm 36, so this isn't a long time ago. This is like 18 years ago. I think sometimes maybe there might be this perception that in the U.S. this is fine, that like being gay is fine. And being gay was not fine where I was. I mean, I still tried to, like even after being with a woman, being in love with that person, I still tried to figure out if, like, can I definitely not be with a man? I mean, it took years. It took years for me to be out to everybody. And like I kissed a woman for the first time, started dating a woman for the first time when I was 19. And I really wasn't out to everybody in my life until I was probably 22 or 23. For Cameron, coming out was a long process and not an easy one. The hardest part, coming out to her parents. It was terrible. I mean, they for sure thought that this was a choice that I was making, not a person that I am. They absolutely thought I could not have a positive future. Like, really, we talked about things like, well, you'll never be able to have a job. Okay, well, you'll never be able to have a family. You'll never be happy. You won't have friends. You will be totally isolated. And I'm sure there's a lot of folks listening, like you're saying, who 
realize things about themselves and and that's what they're staring down is this idea that they might not have any community or anything to look forward to. And that's really what I felt and that's really what I was presented with. Like I told one friend and she didn't talk to me for the rest of the school year. I mean, it was very brutal. I was very alone. And what I will say is that I just knew it was an unchangeable thing. I just spent a lot of time um, thinking about if I could be different and then realizing that I couldn't. When your parent and your child comes out, I do think that you kind of mourn that person you thought you knew. For me, this was a really positive experience. Coming out was like, oh, oh my God, hooray. You know, like it was it was finding myself. But for them, I think it felt like losing a kid. That's normal. I think that's a normal experience. Then also for my parents specifically, they thought I was putting like my soul in danger. You know, my dad had a very hard time with it and really cried for years and really isolated himself in his community because he didn't know who to tell. And then like fast forward, he sang at my wedding, you know, I mean, he, you know, he tied my wife's um, bow tie on the day of our wedding because my wife was so nervous that like the bow tie was not was like all coming apart. And so my dad came down and um, like tied the bow tie. So they came around. They came around 180 degrees. So not like a little bit. I mean, full acceptance, full love. Consider my wife absolutely like a child of theirs the way that, that you would want. But it was probably five years fully from when I came out to them to when they had like this total change of heart. And my dad apologized to me um, for the way that he behaved and for like making it about him. There are few better moments in a person's life than when they figure out who they are. For Cameron, it was very fundamental to her identity. It had to do with whom she was going to love, allowed to love, even though her reality went against everything she had learned her whole life. I'm impressed with how Cameron figured out who she was and stuck to her guns. But I'm just as impressed with her parents' ability to reconsider their worldview halfway through their lives and choose love over dogma. In the end, we all want to make our parents proud, no matter how old we are. In the Middle East, earning your parents' approval is simultaneously easy to do and impossible to achieve. You just need to live exactly as they want you to live your life. Living your life the way you want seems like a fair thing to do, but life isn't fair. Going against your parents' wishes is considered a sort of rebellion. Younger generations in the Middle East are given a choice. They can follow society's norms or suffer alienation from their loved ones. And society's norms can be extended to anything, your social life, your sexual life, your religious life. Any of these choices can be a social death sentence. Any of them can break up a family. So I would say I was pretty lucky that my only problem with my mom was a little bit of dancing. Others in my country were not that lucky. Now it's time to take a short break to say a few nice things about our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk about comedy, marriage, and what happens when you combine the two. So don't leave us. Hiring is challenging. Believe me, I tried really hard to get better producers, but instead I just got these two. But you don't have to live my nightmare. There is one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. The place is ZipRecruiter.com remade. 
With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. If I had let ZipRecruiter spotlight the best resumes for this job, let's just say that my producers would be working on a different podcast. With results like that, it's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash remade. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-E-M-A-D-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash remade. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I have been sleeping on my new Casper mattress for a few weeks now. Sleep. It's been so many years since we first met. And you keep getting better. (sighs) Support for Remade in America comes from Casper, a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience, one night at a time. At Casper, mattresses are perfectly designed for humans. They are engineered to soothe and cradle your natural geometry. Vavavoom. Casper brand mattresses combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amount of both sink and bounce. Casper offers free shipping in the U.S. and Canada, and if you aren't completely satisfied, Casper makes it easy to return your mattress at no charge and no hassle. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep on a trial. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com remade and using promo code remade at checkout. That's casper.com slash remade and promo code remade for $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to Remade in America, presented by CAFE. It's a pretty new thing to be a woman married to another woman. The U.S. Supreme Court only made same-sex marriage legal three years ago. And it's common knowledge that comedians shouldn't marry each other. But as far as I know, there are no Supreme Court cases or superstitions about female comedians marrying each other. Luckily for us, Cameron told us what it's like, starting with the strong connection between her comedy and her queer identity. That's part of the reason I do stand-up, is because I can kind of talk to everybody about who I am right up top. Stand-up was an avenue for me to essentially introduce myself to people and be like, hey, you could choose not to hate me. You know, you could choose to, to, to like me or to love me. And that, has, that gamble has paid off for me. I have a comedy career. I've been out the whole time. I never had to decide in Hollywood whether to come out. I never had to decide whether to come out at work. I built my life from being out. Like this, look. This is on purpose. (laughs) To attract women. So if you're a guy out there and you're like, I'm not sure if I'm into that. There is no chance that you are less into me than I am into you. The time that I have been doing stand-up in this country has been the fastest progressing civil rights movement of all time. Like the LGBT civil rights movement that's been happening in the last 15 years, there's no equivalent. Like the civil rights movement took a lot longer and... Black folks still don't have equality in this country. For LGBT folks, 
the change in perception has been so quick where when I started doing stand-up, the majority of America would not have been okay with LGBT folks, would not have been okay with marriage equality. And now it's almost like passe, the idea of marriage equality. We forget. We like just fought for that. We just got that. I'm married. I, I couldn't have been married a decade ago. My career has lined up with this being a huge part of the national conversation. So I'm actually kind of lucky in that way. Um, sometimes comics have to fight to be relevant. And I just happen to have been relevant for, for the last 15 years. Um, that being said, it's not like it's been easy. It's not like anything's been given to me. I think as a woman and as a gay person, I have to work a lot harder. Yes, there are times that folks are specifically looking for my perspective, but my perspective is also seen as inherently political. And it's not. Like, I live my life. It is other people that politicize my life. Just wearing a button-down shirt or having this haircut, obviously, I don't get called in to play a lot of ingenues or whatever. <laughs> One of the weirdest ones was um, that a guy once told me, I, I look, he yelled, he yelled this, you look like a woman that doesn't sleep with men, which is a very funny thing to say because that's exactly what I look like. And I'm just like, wait, what do you mean? What about this vest and tie looks like I'm super gay? No, I'm trying to tell people what's going on with me. Just like I'm trying to tell people on stage, I'm trying to tell people with my look because like, number one, I actually want to change public perception on what it is like to be queer. I want to fight for acceptance. And then also number two, like having folks know who I am makes my life safer. It's really true. You're not just married to another woman. You are married to another woman comic. I am married to another comic, yeah. How is that going? Um, it's, I can't imagine my life a different way because this job is like such a part of the way that I live my life. My schedule is really weird. I travel all the time. Isn't there a rule that comics shouldn't get together? I mean, despite oh. like being gay or not, I mean, the whole thing about like being with another comic is like a taboo because that is not good for business or good for your life or for humanity. Well, like I mean, that. I think that that number one, the worst thing that could ever happen is that you fall in love with somebody who's not good at comedy mm. like that, that. That, I think, is what people really worry about, is if they start dating somebody like before they see their act and then they see their act and they're like, oh, no, <laughs> like you're terrible. Because like the fights will be horrible. It's like you're not even funny. It's like, Argh! no, if you can't respect somebody's comedy, forget <laughs> it. Like you can't respect them at all. Uh, luckily, my wife, Rhea, is um, very funny. But and you go on bus tours together. We have totally been on tours together. I will also say, like, this can be a very lonely job. Comics don't talk about that a lot. When you hear the taboo of, like, don't hook up with another comic or whatever it is, comics don't talk about how lonely this job is. It's all framed like you're a rock star out on the road, like, you know, sleeping with audience members or whatever. That's not what it's like. You do your show, you're all wound up, and you're out of step with every other type of person because... You know, I work all week and then I work all weekend. So, yeah, dating another comic and then marrying another comic. I'm I am so lucky that that's what happened in my life. My wife is not a comedian and she frequently doesn't think that I'm funny. But honey, if you're listening, I just want you to know I go on a bus tour with you anytime. Cameron has become a well-known lesbian comedian at a time when norms are being challenged and the rules are starting to reflect that. She talked about the responsibility that comes with being a voice of the LGBT community and how she does not plan to shy away from being an advocate. 
Yeah, I mean, I chose to be somebody who's speaking on behalf of folks like me, just like you did. We both chose this. So I'm aware of my position, and and I chose it because I, I didn't see somebody else saying what I felt. I didn't see somebody else um, talking about the LGBT community the way that I wanted to, which was in a really positive way. Sometimes um, comics can be very down on themselves for being gay. That's just not what I'm trying to do. And I'm stoked. I can't believe that I get to do this job. I worked my ass off to do this job, but I can't believe I get to do it. This is going to sound very self-important. I'm just trying to like change the world a little bit. And that could be with one conversation, you and I. That could be with just like being on TV and um, looking the way that I look. That doesn't have to be, you don't have to change everything about the world. You can change a little bit. You know, something that I want to do is, as I work my way up, pull other folks up with me and leave the door open behind me. Because also, there have not been that many out gay entertainers. There just haven't been. And some folks had to take so much when they came out that they could kind of only get themselves through the door. I'm in a different position. Right now, it's a lot more normalized in American culture. And I could be somebody that helps a whole bunch of other people get on television, helps a whole bunch of other people just make their living and survive and be a part of my community. I think it's safe to say that Cameron has the best intentions for her fame of anyone in Hollywood, and we're lucky to have her leading the way. I learned a lot from talking to Cameron today. First of all, Cameron thinks I look like a 17-year-old football player. That's pretty good. Second, I better be a great parent to my kids because I'm pretty sure they will be talking about me on somebody's podcast in 20 years' time. And third, if I have any chance of making it as a comic, I have to convince my wife to become a comic too. I asked her a few days ago, and well, it didn't go great. But being serious, Cameron taught me a lot today about what it means to lead with your identity, both on stage and in your personal life. She also inspired me, made me want to share my success and someday open doors for others whose shoes I used to be in. But what I will remember most about our conversation is her story about figuring out who she is about trusting her gut, even when her teachings told her not to. I hope that someone out there listening to this conversation felt inspired by what Cameron said. I'm pretty sure that she's changing the world a little bit every day. If you connected to Cameron's story and want to share your own with me, or just have a question, you can tweet at me or call me at 785-4-BASIM. Here is a story we recently received from Shannon, who grew up in Dayton, Ohio. I'm quite white, and I was actually the only white girl in my graduating class. And I wouldn't say that I experienced racism, per se, because I don't believe that white people can really experience racism in America. You'd be surprised. But I did have a few interesting incidents. For example, a few times, actually, I had people run their hands through my hair without asking. Creepy. Which I hear is a rather typical experience of black people in predominantly white areas, so I guess mm -hmm. the shoe was on the other foot in that one. Uh -huh. uh, it is incredibly creepy and weird. Please, anybody of any race, do not run your hands through anybody's hair without asking. Super uncomfortable. So that was my little piece of America for you. Good luck with the show. Bye-bye. 
Well, first of all, I sometimes I feel that when people say I'm white in this age, day and age, they kind of say it in, as if almost apologetic, <laughs> and I don't think you should be. There are like bad people on both sides. Uh, this is not a show to make white people un- un- uncomfortable or or people with uh, more fair skin uncomfortable. But what you said is interesting because I think people gravitate towards making other people who don't look like them uncomfortable. You you mentioned the the fact that people are running their hands through the hair, which is happening to a lot of black kids who have the same experience. Being white or black uh, is not really what decides if people are racist against you. It's just being different. So, for example, in Africa, there's a lot of kids who have albinism, who have no melanin in their skin, and they're extremely white. And they are not just being discriminated against. They are considered as a product of the devil. They are considered as evil people and even like almost burned like witches. So I think it is about like how different you look from the others. People are afraid of people who are different, and that sucks, guys. That sucks. Embrace difference. Don't alienate it. Thank you, Shannon, for this lovely message. If you have an outsider story or a question for me or want to suggest a topic that we cover on the show, tweet at me or call me at 785-4-BASIN. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. Every good review makes it easier for new listeners to find the show. And the more listeners we get, the more it means I don't have to convince my wife to go into comedy to support me. Remade in America is presented by Cafe and produced by Neon Hum Media. Our show producer is Vikram Patel. Editorial support from Ashley Cleek. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our theme song is by Beethoven Music. And special thanks to Jeff Eisenman and Brian Carmel. Next week on Remade in America. You know, you can point to claims of racial or ethnic superiority on the right, and that seems to make a pretty good dividing line, but it's more subtle on the left. Good intentions transformed into policy seldom produce the outcomes that are desired. I'm Bassem Youssef. Talk to you soon.